Welcome to the Cochrane Community Church Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us, and we look forward to how Jesus will impact your life through this message. See, at Cochrane Community Church, our mission is simple. We want to share the love of Jesus so that our families, our community, the next generation, and the world will know Him as Savior. And this means that we strive to be a loving, Christ-centered community of believers. We just want to say thank you so much again for taking the time to tune into this episode. And at this time, please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's episode. you guys are doing well today. I am so glad that you guys are here. I'm so glad that if you are joining us online that you are there with us today. And and my mic is way too close to my mouth. Sorry about that. I'll figure it out in a minute. Um, So if you don't know me, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor of student and family ministry here at Cochran and Community Church. And like I said, I'm really, really glad you're here. It's always a privilege for me to to get to stand up and, and speak with you guys. Um, and it's, it's always just a, a great honor. So, uh, Again, thank you for letting me be here. Thank you to Pastor John for giving me the opportunity. Um, so if you guys aren't quite sure where we're at, if you, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, I'm going to give you a quick, quick run through. We're doing this DNA series, and it's a series that we're looking at our core values. Uh, we have seven of them here at Cochrane Community Church, and they go like this. The first one is the Bible for godly living. The next one is worship for praise and adoration. The next one is prayer for confession, thanksgiving, and petition. The fourth one is community for discipleship and relationships. Now we're going to skip one real quick and we'll go back. Uh, Next week we're going to talk about the fifth one, outreach, for sharing the gospel in our community and beyond. The sixth one, service for putting others above ourselves. And the seventh one is stewardship, and I didn't get the little four tagline on that one. Sorry. Um, So this week we're talking about uh, relevancy. Relevancy, that's a, a big word, I guess. Um, but it's relevancy for reaching the next generation. See, we believe here that, that not only is relevancy something we should do, it's something we must do. It's, it's absolutely essential for reaching the next generation of people with the gospel. Um, we believe that wholeheartedly here, that, that is a core value. It's something that guides who we are and how we do what we do. And this topic for me is near and dear to my heart because, well, my title, Student and Family Ministry, that's all about teens, young adults, children, young families, the next generation. And that's, that's what my interest is. Excuse me for a second. I'll try and get this thing so you guys can hear me a little bit better. It's my fault. I don't know how to put on a mic anymore. Anyway, um, so we've, we've got that going on. And, and I, I got to tell you, I've... I've felt a call to this kind of ministry. I felt like I should be doing something with teens since I was a teen. In fact, it was, it was junior high school. I remember being on a mission trip and looking at one of the interns for the youth ministry that I was part of, and I said, I think I want to do what you do when I grow up. So I've, it's kind of been there, but it took me about 15 years from that moment, maybe a little bit more even, to actually get 
to a point where I was doing it. Um, and I want to tell you a little bit about my story and how, how I got there, because I think it's really relevant for today. So when I was in high school, a little bit after I said, hey, I think I'd like to do this for a living, um, I, uh, I was part of everything at the church. I was that kid. As, as a youth pastor, I've always got that kid. Like, there, there's the one kid that shows up before everything, that wants to be there, that's always there. That was me. I was that annoying little kid. I don't think I can say I've got one of those kids, because, like, the, it, that kid is the one that shows up, like, 45 minutes early. It's too early. Don't show up that early. Um, but I was. I was there. I played on the worship team. I did all the stuff. I was part of two small groups. I was part of anything. Anytime the doors were open, I was sort of there. Um, and it was great. In early college, I, I went on and I volunteered um, as the worship leader for the junior high ministry. And uh, when my friend stopped doing the college ministry worship, I took that on too. I led a small group for the high school. I did a lot. Um, and I had a lot of people sort of pouring into me at that time. Well, then I moved to North Carolina because I felt like it was getting really expensive to live out in California where I grew up. So I moved to North Carolina, and my life fell apart. I was uh, engaged when I left California, and that didn't last a terrible long time, even though the plan was to, to move out there, create a life, and then go. I, I moved out there to, to be a writer for a magazine. The magazine went under. I uh, was in a car accident at uh, right after I got there, and uh, then that prevented me from like being the best man at my best friend's wedding and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So life just really fell apart, and that was in, in about three months. I hadn't found a church yet. I felt like I was, I was wishy-washy, and when I finally did find a church, I started serving like I, like I did, uh, and then I was asked not to return to be part of the worship team because I had a, a creative disagreement with, with the worship pastor who happened to also be the senior pastor's son. Um, I was pulled aside by another pastor and said, please don't come back, um, which wasn't a great taste in my mouth. Um, then, then I went to college to try and finish up my, my degree, and, and there was a street preacher that showed up quite often there, and any time I walked by, he told me in no uncertain terms that I was going to hell I'm not sure why, but apparently that's where I was headed. So that, that left a, a wonderful taste for, for the church in the South, in, in my mind. And, and then I, I watched as, as radical groups uh, from, from the church. Uh, Westboro Baptist was one of them, but, but some churches that, that were not doing things in Christ-like ways, uh, not getting their points across in, in ways that showed love, um, were just in the news all the time around that time in my life. And I thought... That's not the church I know. It doesn't fit who I am. It doesn't fit what I think of the gospel. And I can't find a church that seems to, because the one church I found that I thought I liked, well, they told me to leave. So, uh, you know what? I don't think this works for me anymore. I, I'm, I'm done. And I walked away. And I'm going to tell you later how, how I ended up back in church. Um, but, but before I do that, I, I want you to do a little exercise here. So if you are over 25, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to picture the face or the name of, of a young person in your life. And maybe there's more than one. There probably is if, if you're like us. Um, one young person in your life that you really care about. If you've got that person, open your eyes. Grab your notes from your worship folder. 
and write their name in the spot that's, that's there on the, uh, on the note card. And I don't care who they are to you. They could be a son, a daughter, a, a grandkid, a, a nephew, a niece, uh, your best friend's second cousin's child twice removed or something like that. It, it doesn't matter. If you care about them, if you, if you love them, and, and they are in your life in, in some meaningful way, then, then that's a person to write down. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say, I'm guessing everybody in here had that person. Is that correct? Let me, let me see some nods if, if that's correct. You got somebody? Okay, good. Um, I think that's cool. We all have a young person in our lives that we care about. And if you are a young person, you probably have other young people in your lives that you care about, right? You've got friends. You've got relationships that, that are meaningful to you, which is good. And, and our call is to go out and create disciples. Next week, we're going to hit hard this call to outreach, this call to mission, this call to go into the world. It's the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. But there's an even different and a special call for us as, as believers to reach the next generation. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you've got it, or uh, it'll be on the screen. Um, or, you know, if you pull out your phone, that works too. That's how I generally do it. Um, turn to me, what, Psalm 145. And we'll pull that up here, and we'll get going. This is from David, and he says, I will exalt you, my God, my, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. I love that. I think it's so cool to hear David open up in this, in this boisterous, huge praise. God, I praise your name. I will exalt you, my God, my King. He's got this, this bold praise and, and an even bolder vision. As we get to verse 4, he says, one generation, in this translation, it says, uh, commends your works to another. And, and literally, one generation shouts your works, gives, gives your works to the next generation. They pass it down. They pass it down. And, and it's amazing to me. It, it, it echoes something. It, it echoes what we're supposed to do. So in, in, in his book, called the Family Ministry Field Guide, Timothy Paul Jones, and by the way, is that not like the best name for somebody in family ministry? Timothy Paul? Like, that's a, just a great name for, for somebody in ministry, I guess. I, anyway, I digress. Um, he says that, that we as parents, if you're a parent in here, we should see our kids as, and I'm going to get this wrong if I don't read it, so potential or actual brothers and sisters in Christ. Potential or actual brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you're like me, it's, it's maybe a little hard to think of, of my five crazy people as brothers and sisters in Christ when I'm trying to make sure they, like, wash the dishes and brush their teeth and all that stuff. But, but not only am I called to think of them as, as my charges, my kids, um, the, the people that God has put in my life that, that I'm responsible for, but, but they're brothers and sisters in Christ or they're potentially brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and more important, I should probably think of that first. 
because they will always be that. They will always be my kids, but, but in eternity, they will be my brothers and sisters. It's that important. And David, thinking about these things, is, is saying, we, as the older generation, commend the works of God to the next generation. And, and that's an amazing thing. And, and he's talking about the community of faith in Israel. So maybe it helps. Maybe it's, maybe it's we're passing it on <clears throat> to the next people, the community of faith. If that helps you think of it, maybe, that, maybe that's a little easier than thinking about your children as brothers and sisters. Maybe there are other members of the community of faith, but, but the meaning is the same. <clears throat> so we are called to share the gospel with the next generation. And that's, that's the point of what David's getting across. That's the point of what we do. That is our call. And, and it's not a new call. It's not something that, that David says, hey, I've got this great idea. Let's do this. David is calling back to something much closer to the birth of the nation of Israel. You see, we get to Deuteronomy. And, and there's this passage, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but we're going to read it anyway. But I'm going to give you a little background first. So, so Deuteronomy is, is Moses' last words to the nation of Israel before they get to the promised land. And Moses says to them a whole bunch of things. But because it's the last words, they're really important. Right? People's first words and their last words are usually the most important things that they say. Um, so the last words are meaningful. Let's check out what his meaningful words were. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This passage is really cool. And, and it's not because of the passing down part at first. So when I was in seminary, my Old Testament professor pointed out that verse, uh, verse 4 there, Here, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. That is the central statement of faith for the nation of Israel. Here, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. It says everything that they need to know about God. Right in one statement. So that is, that is a central statement, probably the central statement of faith for the nation of Israel. And then it goes on and, and, and we get the, the greatest commandment according to Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul and strength. So, so in this passage, we have both the central statement of faith for Israel and the greatest commandment according to Jesus. And then the very next thing is Keep these commandments on your hearts and teach them to the next generation. And it doesn't tell us to teach them to the next generation at church. It doesn't say, hey, teach, teach your kids when you walk into the worship center. Or teach your kids for them the tent of meeting. Or the synagogue or the temple. Or when you're in Sunday school or, or any of those things. It says teach them when you're out and about in your daily life, when you're hanging out at the house, when you're, 
when you're going to the store, when you're, you know, when, you're, when you're laying down for the evening, say your evening prayers. When you get up in the morning, praise God because you've got another day. And let your kids see that and let them know it. Put it everywhere. Put, put it up you know, for them. Put it on the doorpost. Put it at the very foundation. Put, put it on the pictures on the wall. Put it everywhere so that your, your family can't escape it. So it's there for your kids to see. Make it part of the fabric of your very life. Because it's relevant in every situation. It's supposed to be everywhere. It's supposed to meet people where they are. Whether that's physically, emotionally, relationally, culturally, or spiritually. It, it, we're supposed to meet people. And that's, that's maybe the working definition that I have in my head when I talk about relevancy. I, I think of relevancy, I think that relevancy is where the gospel intersects with our lives in a meaningful way, where, where the gospel comes into our lives in ways that, that make a difference. That's, that's what relevancy means. And I left the church, I told you, um, largely because I failed to recognize the gospel intersecting with my life. Or rather, I, I, I failed to have people in my life who helped me to see where that intersection happened. Those places where the things in my life were influenced by the gospel, by the good news that Jesus is Lord. A church looked to me more like an institution trying to, to protect itself, to, to keep going. And, and I wasn't alone in that. And in fact, in a, in a 2018 Barna study, uh, it said that 31% of non-Christian millennials felt the same way that I did. Um, and that's millennials. Actually, the, the numbers are, are slightly better for Generation Z, believe it or not. But, but there's other things that, that keep them back, according to that same study. But the, but the point there is, it didn't seem to mean much in my life because I wasn't engaged in, in the kind of things that, that made it seem that way. So my question, as I, as I went through this week, it was, how do we start to change that perception? How do we start to become relevant? If relevancy is where the gospel interacts with our lives on a daily basis or intersects, then how do we do that? And then I, I thought about what Paul says in, in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 is where he starts. And, and he says this, he says, uh, well, let me give some background here because again, we're going to lose it if we don't. Paul is talking about, uh, talking to a church in, the, in Corinth and, and this church they're, they're kind of on the struggle bus, to be very honest with you. Um, they really have a hard time getting things together, but they want to. Um, and one of the places where they fail is, is they're seeing their freedom in Christ, and they're actually boldly proclaiming things that, that they really should not be boldly proclaiming. There's some, some strange incestuous relationships and things like that, that that are not good, but they're saying, hey, we've got freedom in Christ, and Paul's going, no time out. You, that's not how this whole freedom thing works. So Paul goes on to explain what freedom looks like and what his freedom as an apostle looks like. And he says this, he says, Though I am free and I belong to no one, I myself have made my, myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Catch that? 
to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. And, and Paul's complicated in, in what he's writing there, and it, it sounds a little bit, bit crazy, but, but we can kind of boil down what Paul says to this. He uses his freedom in Christ, the freedom that he can, he can do a lot more than what he might have been able to do as a Jew under the law. He uses that same freedom from the law to, to be whatever he needs to be. So if he needs to be under the law, hey, he's got that covered. If he needs to be like he's not under the law, well, he's got that covered too. He can do that within reason. Uh, if, he, if he needs to, to present himself like a slave, that's okay. He's a slave to Christ. If he, if he needs to present himself as free, he's got that too. Paul says, I will be all things to all people that by all means I might win some. Uh, churches frame it this way. Uh, a modern thing, and a thing I've heard from a number of churches now is, is we will do anything short of sin to help people meet Jesus. We will do anything short of sinning to help people meet Jesus. And, and I really like that. Paul said he became a Roman to talk to the Romans or a slave to talk to the slaves. Paul always found a way to, to make it relevant to the lives of the people. He found a way to to bring it into their daily experience in a way that, that was meaningful for them. And this happens on a couple different levels. All right? So, so we could talk about the church level. Right? As a, as a church, we, we operate on a certain level. And, and for us, that's a stylistic thing here at CCC. Uh, Pastor John likes to say we have, and I'm going to get this wrong because I didn't write it down, we have... Uh, conservative theology and contemporary methodology. Did I get that right? Almost. What is it? Progressive methodology. And what that means is that we hold to the truth, we value the truth, we value what's in here. We'd said it before, we value the Bible, we value worship, we value, you know, we've got these core values. But at the same time, will do what it takes to get people to know Jesus. So we, we play modern instruments. We use these cool backing track things, and, and that's a huge thing, and, and congrats to the worship team, because that's not an easy thing to do, and they do it. They rock it out and make it look easy. Um, we do all kinds of things that are, that are very modern. And what that does, what that does is that makes people who, who may not be comfortable with church a little bit more comfortable. You can come into this room, and, and it's not everybody wearing a three-piece suit, which is great because you're not going to catch me in a three-piece suit. You, you come into this room, and you hear music that sounds sort of like what you might hear on the radio. The, the words are different, but it's kind of got that vibe. You, you, you walk in, and, and you smell coffee, and it's good coffee. It's not the really, really cheap stuff that a lot of older churches have. You don't want to drink that stuff. I'm a coffee snob, just saying. Um, <laughs> So, so we do all kinds of things here to, to make people feel comfortable, to, to make it feel not quite so foreign for the younger generation. And it's a style thing, um, but it works. 
And it creates that space. It creates a comfortable place to be, and it creates a place that's not foreign again. If we were to come in here and start doing responsive readings and, and open up your hymnal and do that, there, there are people who will love that. And there is nothing wrong with that. But a younger person's like, what's a hymnal? I don't understand. A, a what? If we played an organ, they're going, wait a minute, didn't my grandparents listen to that? Isn't that the Phantom of the Opera going? I thought these things, so I'm not, I'm not trying to be silly. But th- I mean, that's, those are reactions that you have. And, and there are some young people who really, really like that because it's such a departure from the everyday life. So it's relevant there. But in our context here, in Cochranton, that's what we get. This is what seems to, to be comfortable for people. So we do that. But it doesn't end at the worship service. And this is where, for me, the rubber hits the road. This is where, for me, you guys get to take something home. Because up till now, we've talked why we do this as Christians, and we should do this as Christians, and the church does it, and and we do a, a good job at it here. But I want you to take it, and you to run with this. So here we go. We're going to talk about what I like to call relevancy IRL. Teenagers know what IRL is. Um, If you don't, it's in real life. I had to learn that one. I had to ask my daughter, like, what is IRL? Real life, Dad, come on, get it. Okay. Um, But these are things that I use, three things that I use in youth ministry that you can use on a daily basis with the the young people in your life. And I I want to stop for a minute and, and look at my younger people here. Because I, I have to make a confession. I have gotten a little sidetracked. I moved from a position of assisting a youth pastor to being the full-time youth pastor. And I started thinking about all the logistics, all the, the program side of things. And I forgot some of these principles that I think are the most important things in youth ministry. I've forgotten some of those things because I got sidetracked. So if I say some of these things, young people, teenagers, and you go, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like what I've experienced with Dave, I am sorry. That's not fair. And I want to do better. So please let me know if you've, if you've felt that I've, I've not done well with these things so that I can make it right. That's just a, a personal note for me because it's been on my heart. And here we go. The first thing you need to do if you're going to approach young people is build relationships with them. My mentor, the the guy I worked under for five years in youth ministry, told me this day one. In fact, he told me this when he interviewed me to see if I could be a volunteer on his staff. He said, remember this. Always remember, they will not care what you know until they know that you care. They will not care what you know until they know you care. And that is so true. Um, this generation, especially Generation Z, this, this current generation of students, is so relational. And it may take the form that we're not comfortable with of, of phones and Snapchat and Instagram and all these different things that even I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't, yeah, I'm lost with it. But they're relational. They, they don't necessarily play games. They play games together online. They do online things together. They get in person together. They, they want to be in relationship with others. And they've got so many different ways to do it. Um, 
And we have to approach them in that way. We have to approach them from the standpoint of relationship, from the standpoint of being engaged in their lives and caring. Uh, so, so in Romans 10, and I don't have this one pulled in my Bible, so we're going to look at it on the screen here. Paul asks a question. He says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And while I can stand up here and I can preach to them, I can go to youth group and preach to them, they're relational. If I'm not engaged in relationship with them, I'm not really a preacher to them. Because, because I just haven't built that capital. I haven't, I haven't created that relational capital. Uh, so Doug Fields, who, who many call the Yoda of youth ministry, because he's just that good, talks about relational youth ministry a lot. And he, he says that for people who, who use this approach, uh, Jesus is at the center and people are central. Jesus is at the center and people are central. So you, Jesus and then people, it's, it's all wrapped up together, but, but Jesus is the absolute core. And I, and I love that because, because it means that, that the whole thing is wrapped up right around Jesus and people all at the same time. And, and everything else, everything, the programs, the stuff you do, the words you say, the, the things, you know, the music you play, whatever else is out there is secondary. Those two things are together at the center. And I think that's an amazing thing. And being present like that, having relationships gives you access. And, and I can't think of any more important a story right now um, than, than uh, my friend Brad Jackson, who coaches many different sports and works with many different kids. But, but he works specifically this last year with the boys' volleyball team. And I have watched and... and he gives me far too much credit, so I, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to push it back on him because I told him this morning. He, he did a lot here. So when they started this season, uh, Brad and, and one other coach suggested, hey, maybe we should, you know, we've got a couple Christian guys here. Maybe we should go ahead and say a prayer. So they kind of went off in a corner before a game, and they, and they prayed. And they just kept doing that. And over the course of the season, they built relationships. They did different things. And, and by the end of the season... You've got the whole team praying before and after practices and games, and you've got a student who, by all accounts, really was far from Christ, encouraging the team to remember that everything they had done this year was to the glory of God. Because a couple coaches built a relationship and allowed that relationship to speak into the kids' lives and to speak Jesus into the kids' lives. It's relational. The next thing we have to do is to show how Jesus has changed your life. That story was so cool, right? But, but your story is cool. It's, it's the most important tool you have. You can, you can know the Bible as well as anybody. You, you can be, the, you know, I, I don't know, pick your favorite Bible scholar. You can be that person. But if you don't have your story, if you don't, know how to tell your story, you're missing a huge tool. And here's why. Your story tells how Jesus is real in your life. Your story points out those places where it's an intersection. And it doesn't matter what your story is. It could be huge. 
it could be this crazy, you know, God pulled me out of, you know, out of skid row and I was, I was, you know, hooked on drugs and this and that. Or it could be, you know, I kind of grew up in a Christian home and, and didn't have much exciting happen. And, and I just followed Jesus. And, and when hard things have come, Jesus kind of gave me hope. Both of those stories are, are really important. And both of those stories are something a kid, a young person might need to hear. Um, check out what Peter says. He says, um, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. See, the, the thing is, your story may not seem like a big deal to you, but your story is going to include a hope and a peace that surpasses understanding and, and the different things and, and how you do what you do and why you do it. And I guarantee you, there is a young person in your life that needs to hear your story. Because your story is going to show them how to navigate something they're going through. They need to hear your story. Number three. Always follow the golden rule. Matthew, Jesus says... uh, So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. We all know this. It's pretty simple. I tell my kids probably 16 times a week or something like that. My daughter's looking at me going, no, you don't. I don't. They they are pretty good at this for the most part. But, But we all know this, right? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. There's kind of a bunch of different variants. But but we know it. Treat others how you want to be treated. But we forget it when it comes to young people in our lives in some ways. And, and here's what I mean by that. The world is, is a scary place. And we don't want it to be in our homes, right? If, if we're honest, we'd like to push it out of our homes. And, and just, if you're like me, I like to just not turn on the news ever, ever, ever. Um, and I don't want to have those conversations with my kids. I've got a 12-year-old sitting here who, who has to deal with a whole bunch of stuff and has a lot of questions about the world. I could shut her down. Our dad, what about this? What about that? Now we're just not going to talk. Don't worry about that. That's just wrong. Don't stay away. But that doesn't do her any good. That doesn't teach her anything. That doesn't help us do that. I, I have to resist the impulse. And I would encourage you, if your kids come to you with questions, if they, if they have things that they want, or if a young person approaches you and says, hey, what about engage in real conversation? You have to. Because if you don't, somebody else will. One of my favorite illustrations is, imagine if, if I took a room full of, of 25 junior high school students and I handed them scuba gear and I said, um, you guys, here's some scuba gear and there's a big old pool. Go for it. And walked away. And if I left them to do that on their own, what's going to happen? I'm going to end up with a bunch of dead junior high school students is what's going to happen. Because I didn't stop and teach them how to use some scuba equipment. Or I didn't give them somebody to teach them. We, we have kids who go out into the world, into life, and life is a lot more complicated than scuba equipment. And if we let them just figure it out from their friends and, and from the people who, who 
don't have any more experience than they do, we're going to end up with a mess. Paul told the Ephesians to speak truth in love. Speak truth in love. And we've got to do this. We can't abandon the truth. We can't abandon what this book says. Because this book is the living, breathing, active word of God. But we also can't use it as a club. Shut up. No, we're not going to. It doesn't work that way. It's a sword. But it's a sword that has to be used carefully. A sword is a weapon that takes precision, that takes care. Because if you don't use it well, it bites you. Speak it in love. Engage in those conversations with young people. Make it happen because that's when it intersects their lives. And that's when the young people in your life go from potential brothers and sisters to actual brothers and sisters. So I promised you that at the end of this whole thing, I'd tell you how I ended up back in church. That was an older sister in Christ. Someone who had taken a long time to cultivate a relationship with me. Someone who repeatedly told me her story. And someone who was willing to listen and and have conversations with me about the things that I was concerned about, my worries, my fears, the the hard places where I was was trying to figure out life in, in the 20th, 21st century. And when I walked away, she kept talking. She prayed for me. She kept that relationship active. And she kept bugging the snot out of me until I finally showed up at church again. And and that was my mom was that person. An older person who loved me, who engaged my life in a meaningful way and showed me how the gospel intersected for me. And she finally dragged my butt back to church. To a church that also felt comfortable. To a church that preached in ways that that were relevant to me, that meant something to my life. And God got a hold of me and brought me back. And six months later, I was volunteering in a youth ministry doing what God told me I should be doing in junior high. Because an older sister in Christ took the time to be relevant in real life. Father God, thank you so much for all the people in here, the the older people and the younger people, the the seasoned believers and and the babies. God, each one of us has a a part to play, God, and, and Each one of us has to remember that that you are relevant. And and to be relevant is not just to to be hooked on the modern styles and and do a good job there, but, but to be in life together and to show how your gospel, the fact that you are Lord, matters every day. So God, show us how to do that. Give us those people. Help us to be 
real and relevant in the lives of the young people around us that we love. And God, we lift up those young people to you today. We love them and we want to see them come to love you so that we can celebrate with our brothers and sisters. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you guys would please stand. We hope you found this week's episode relevant and encouraging. We just want to say thanks so much for taking time to listen. And if you'd like, please feel free to share it with a family member or a friend. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Cochrane Community Church, go online and visit ccubchurch.org. Well, that's all the time we have this week, but we would love for you to join us back here next week as we continue to see what it looks like to live a countercultural lifestyle for God. And from all of us here at Cochrane Community Church, we just want to say that we pray that God blesses your faithfulness. We'll see you back here next week.